My mother taught me to say what's on your mind to people you have a trusting relationship with. Do not let them wonder what you think and how you feel. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. My job is to be the adult in the room, to tell you folks the truth. I'm answering the question. We're here to bring this country together, not to divide it. You know, some may go down tonight, but it ain't going to be jobs, sweetheart. I'm David First. We're back again with Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, and Tom Moran, the editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. We'll also be speaking with Republican strategist Deirdre Woodburn in a few minutes. But I'm having a powerful sense of deja vu right now. I, I know I just said this two weeks ago, but the governor was in Iowa this week. Uh, according to one breakdown I saw, this was his 13th visit in the past five years, and this time it was to speak at the Dallas County Republicans' Spring Speaker Series. We heard a brief clip from that at the top of the show. Uh, Tom, this was the governor's first time speaking in public since uh, coming back from London. Well, yeah, I guess he's in closer communion with the people of Iowa than the people of New Jersey these days. Matt, in Iowa this week, the governor told a story, an, an anecdote that he has told many, many times before in New Jersey and in Iowa just two weeks ago. We're going to take a closer look at the story today. I have an Irish father, and I had a Sicilian mother. Now, what this means is, from a very young age, I became adept at conflict resolution. (laughs) Yeah, this is a story about his mother on her deathbed. And what is so strong about this little anecdote is he goes from getting the crowd to cackle and laughter to getting some of them to reach in their pockets for tissues within 15, 20 seconds. My mom would tell you whatever was on her mind all the time. And we used to say, Mom, do I really need to know that? And she'd say, I need to get it off my chest. There's been no deathbed confessions in this family. You're hearing it now. That's the house I grew up in. And it was the way... My mother taught us to be. And when she came to the end of her life, 10 years ago, my mom was diagnosed on Valentine's Day of 2004 uh, with lung cancer. And by the first week of May, she was back in the hospital and near death. The thrust of it essentially is that His mother was this uh, tough Italian-American woman who said it like it is. And her words to him as she was dying was, there's nothing left unsaid between us. And he uses it to, quote, explain the way he is. And she finally woke up, and this would be typical of my mother. She hadn't seen me in five days. She woke up, she looked at me, and she said, what day is it? Not hello or anything else. How you doing? What day is it? It's Friday. She said, what time is it? I said, it's about 9.30. And she said, go to work. (laughs) I said, Mom, I I decided to take the day off and spend the day with you. And what he's doing by telling the story now in both of his last two appearances in Iowa is to reintroduce himself to Iowans. And yes, they see him yelling at a reporter in London. Yes, they see him going off on a teacher. They might be confused by this bizarre New Jersey behavior. But here he's telling a universal story about a mother and uh, her son. And by telling the story, 
hopefully for him, these folks are going to start to like him. She reached over and she grabbed my hand and said, Christopher, go to work. It's where you belong. There's nothing left unsaid between us. One of the most powerful moments of my life, which will summarize for all of you why I am the way I am. Right now, he's not talking a ton of specifics about policy. We still don't know what his position is on immigration. Um, We don't really know where he stands on a whole range of national and international issues. And that's not what he's doing right now. Right now, he's, he's, he's just laying the groundwork to try to get these people to just like him. He's gotten very good at it. I mean, he, he pauses, these, these long pregnant pauses, um, the cadence of it. I mean, it is really, uh, uh, it is very much polished. Um, I noticed a couple of slight rhetorical differences. Only very, very close watchers of the deathbed speech like myself would even notice that. I don't want to cheapen this, uh, a deathbed story by talking about it this way, but it reminds me of a comedian working on their material on the road and, uh, and doing it uh, club after club, night after night, and then they do their HBO special and it's just honed to uh, perfection. What's interesting about comparing it to a comedian who's now taken it to his HBO special is this is probably the smallest audience this week in Iowa that he's told this story to in in, in many years. I mean, there were less than 100 people there. And that's what's really interesting to me about his time in Iowa right now. He, how is he going to – he's used to talking to as many as 700 people at town hall meetings in New Jersey. Now he's playing pretty small rooms. You know, I, I've heard the story several times too and I kind of tear up and laugh too. <laughs> it doesn't – because he repeats it all the time, of course, doesn't mean it's not fully sincere. It's a touching story. I, honestly, I mean this is crazy but, you know, he had a slight – he had one new line and I was, I was watching it and I actually laughed in the beginning. I mean because, you know, there, there's laughter and then you – Tear up? And people think we reporters are bloodless. We're out there laughing and crying, for God's sake. <laughs> right. Well, we're speaking uh, with uh, Matt Katz uh, with uh, WNYC and Tom Moran, editorial page editor with the Star-Ledger. As Governor Christie uh, travels to Iowa and continues to mine for support for a possible presidential run, dealing with uh, the fallout from last week's rough trip to London, media reports about lavish travel habits. He's also dealing with some trouble with his own party here at home, some growing dissatisfaction among Republicans in New Jersey. Matt, uh, you've been reporting on this. What have you been hearing? I was at a Republican event last week in Atlantic City, and I was just going up to Republicans. These are local elected Republicans. These are activists, these are uh, operatives, and saying, what what do you think about the governor? What's going on? And, I mean, to a person, they all had beef. I mean, these are Republicans in New Jersey. He won these people by plus 90% of the vote, and they are frustrated with him on so many different levels. It was really amazing. At this event in Atlantic City, this gathering of uh, state Republicans, there were hundreds of officials there, including Lieutenant Governor Kim Guadano. Now, you know, I have to begin, and I want to begin, with, for, with thanking Governor Christie, who we will hear from tonight. Thank Governor Christie for being a fabulous leader, for making New Jersey a better place to live for us. That doesn't sound like a big applause line when she mentioned Christie's name. I mean, there was polite applause whenever his name came up, and it did not come up very often. I see a difference, Matt. I don't know if you're finding this, but the poll that showed New Jersey Republican voters split evenly between Bush and Christie was fascinating to me. I didn't expect that. 
But when it comes to the legislators, you have some very conservative types like Michael Doherty expressing dissatisfaction, saying what he ought to do is take all this money that's going to urban schools and give it to suburban taxpayers. But most Republicans, when you pin them down, say, give me the policy you disagree with, get into the homina homina. And they continue to be his loyal lapdogs when it comes to his vetoes over and over again. To me, a real test is going to be this Port Authority bill. This is a bill that passed both New York and New Jersey unanimously, and Christie vetoed it. Now, if the Assembly Republicans turn around and uphold that veto on an issue that a lot of people are very angry about, uh, I think they're going to get themselves into trouble. If they ever do revolt against Christie, I would look for it in that bill. You guys want to continue to talk about this process stuff, about my tone, my combativeness. I, got, I have something better to do. I have to rearrange my sock drawer tonight. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. We're joined now by Republican strategist Deirdre Woodburn. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. What about all this talk that Republicans in the state are frustrated with Governor Christie? You know, I would say frustrated to a degree, but I think if we look back on the past few years, if you look back to 2009, there was great excitement in 2008, 2009, the campaign, I ran a campaign for Bergen County Freeholder on the ticket with Chris Christie, and there was just an amazing excitement. There was this momentum, and Republicans were winning. And then again, Republicans in 2012 in key races with, with Chris Christie at the top of the ticket, there was this momentum, there was excitement. And kind of after um, you know the past year or so, there has almost been this halt with people, you know, you hear the rumblings that, you know, Chris Christie's focusing on national as opposed to the state. But we Republicans, every one of us, have we have to take it upon ourselves to build on the local level, on the county level, on the state level. So we can't put all the blame on Chris Christie. We have to look at all the different leaders here and say, how are we going to regroup? Who is going to be our next gubernatorial candidate? Um, how can we win? How can we win a Senate seat? Matt Katz has reported that supporters and allies are disappointed, uh, some deciding to back Jeb Bush, that uh, local elected uh, Republican officials, party leaders, operatives are saying that Christie has, you know, checked out of New Jersey, that he's no longer governing the state as actively. He's not uh, coming to so many county Republican meetings that he's not uh, doing the business of the state. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right off the bat, I have always been a Jeb Bush fan. I believe that Jeb Bush has the potential to win a general election. Republicans are looking at Jeb Bush, um, the National Party as well. And I think at the local level, you know, some Republicans may not be happy with certain ways the governor has handled himself. As a Republican strategist, when you see stories like the ones last week about uh, Governor Christie's lavish travel habits and $30,000 hotel stays paid for by the King of Jordan, uh, how do you react? I was I was shocked, to be honest. I, I say this to people all the time. People don't like hypocrites. And I think, again, when the campaign in 09, when it was this corruption-busting campaign and, and you really felt a sense of, of something new, something refreshing. You know, when I was in D.C., everybody always like, likes to make fun of New Jersey, um, that we're corrupt, that, you know, elected officials, all politicians are corrupt. And I think there was this breath of change, you know, for Republicans in 09. And now all of a sudden you're having these these stories coming out. It doesn't bode well for the average person, for the average working person. 
And if this is indeed true, it's kind of people are saying it's hypocritical. We're seeing companies moving out of state. We're seeing people not able to afford the property taxes and they're moving elsewhere. And then we see stories like that. And, and the average person, it doesn't bode well. So are you driving around with your I'm with Jeb bumper sticker yet? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I've been um, a Jeb fan and uh, I, would, I would definitely vote for Jeb because I think he can pull nationally. Republican strategist Deirdre Woodburn, thanks very much for speaking. Very welcome. Thank you for having me, David. This is the Christie Tracker. We're here with the Star Ledger's Tom Moran and New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. And uh, now it is time for the chairman's flight. I mean, I've heard of first class, but chairman's class takes air travel to an entirely new level. This is just a story I cannot begin to comprehend. Uh, Just in case you missed it, Matt, uh, can you bring us up to speed? It's really sensational. So... The chairman, the former chairman of the Port Authority, David Sampson, who is considered a mentor to the governor. Um, This was his top appointee at the Port Authority when the bridge scandal happened. Um, This is a guy who was apparently, as far as we could tell, alerted about the lane closures, at least from the time they were happening. And now new revelations from Sean Boberg at the Bergen Record that United Airlines created a special flight potentially for him that was apparently known as the chairman's flight. And this is because David Sampson, the chairman, had a weekend home in South Carolina. So United Airlines, which was negotiating on several issues with the Port Authority because their their hub is at Newark Airport and the Port Authority runs and operates Newark Airport, Apparently, they created this flight so Samson, oh, this is allegedly at this point, Samson could go to his weekend house. So the flight would leave Newark on Thursday nights and come back on Monday mornings. And the thing was, there was hardly anybody else on the flight. This is a half full flight. Uh, uh, Samson is being investigated by federal prosecutors in connection with this flight route. Uh, initiated by United Airlines, uh, Newark to South Carolina, 50 miles away from where Samson has a weekend home. And, uh, you know, at the Port Authority, of course, Samson was in a position to make decisions that could affect United Airlines. The Port Authority oversees the region's airports. It's quite something when you think that this flight initiated after Samson became chairman, and as soon as he stepped down, two or three days later, it was canceled. <laughs> Amazing. So you can't take that flight anymore, Tom. You're, you're not going to be able to go to South Carolina on Thursday nights. <laughs> you know, it reeks of just this um, cronyism and this elitism that really bothers people if this is true. Well, and we know that kind of arrogance was at play in the lane closures. I mean, that's just pretty shocking. And in a way, it's a lot worse because that put the public safety at risk. So, the, you know, it's within, it's certainly within the culture of impunity that was at play in the Port Authority that they would establish this chairman's flight. Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger, and Matt Katz, reporter for uh, WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, who also runs the uh, fantastic Christie Tracker website. See you next week. Okay, Dave. See you, Matt. See you, guys. The Christie Tracker podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to Executive Vice President Dean Capello, Vice Presidents Chris Bannon and Jim Schachter, and New Jersey Public Radio Managing Editor Nancy Solomon. Our theme music is by 29 Hour Music People. 
Join us for a live event at Montclair State University, Tracking Chris Christie, a conversation with political journalists that's happening on February 18th. For more information, just go to wnyc.org slash events. You can subscribe to the Christie Tracker podcast on iTunes, and you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00, that's Matt K-A-T-Z, or you can follow Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. Till next week. What a joy to be the governor of New Jersey.